Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 and 13. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. Good morning. The sermon today is based on Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 to 13. And the title is Large Letters. Large Letters. Paul instructed the Galatians to bear one another's burden, share all good things with their teacher, and do good to the household of faith. He also warned them that sowing to the flesh leads to corruption, but sowing to the spirit leads to eternal life. When he began to close his letter, starting from verse 11, he signified that he wrote with his hand, his own hand, using large letters. Paul would reveal the questionable motives of those who were misleading them. And he would cite the hypocrisy of those who disrupted their faith. He referred to the teachers who distorted the gospel and spread lies about him. They taught that justification by faith was not enough. The Galatians needed to know the custom of circumcision which symbolized following the law. Well, the false teachers wanted them to follow. It's not just justification by faith. You have to add this so that you may be justified or that you may have righteousness. With Paul's warning, thus all believers should protect the purity of the gospel. Now, the whole letter of Galatians was dedicated to correct, correcting a false concept where they taught that justification, meaning to remove the guilt through Christ, meant that we should have faith in Him and what He did on the cross. The significance of that. Many of us know he died on the cross. And since we were kids, we were told it's for the salvation. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Where did that come from? And we have studied extensively Genesis and Exodus. And the book of Hebrews. Where we root the foundation of that. Where even in the Old Testament, God was giving a shadow of the justice system that he would apply. That an innocent lamb or animal should be sacrificed for the sin of an individual. An animal who had nothing to do 
with their sin must die. An innocent must die as a replacement. That was accepted in the old covenant. Now when it says that Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. He fulfilled the prophecies of the prophets. But what does it mean that he fulfilled the law? One is he obeyed the law completely without sin. The other is he fulfilled the ceremonies. He was the ultimate sacrifice who lived on earth without sin, who is a worthy replacement for human beings. That's why in Revelations they sing, Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Worthy. That's why we can never be saved by our own good works because we are guilty. Just one sin makes us guilty. So if you reason out, well, I'm a good man, I help others, you're still guilty with one sin. You're still guilty. You can't say to, when you're found guilty of a certain crime in the Philippines, well, that's just one crime. Then you're going to brand me a criminal? I just killed one person. Why are you branding me a killer? Well, that's what you are if you killed one person. So why are we branded sinners? Just for one sin makes us sinners. Even though you say, I'm a good man, that doesn't matter. We are guilty. And Paul made it clear. It's not by us following the Old Testament law. It's not about our morality that saves us. Because our morality is not enough. Our good works is not enough. And the gospel is not about point system. Just be good so you find one day you might enter heaven because of the so many good works you've done. You are still, we are still guilty. It's not a point system for salvation. That's why these false teachers who disturb the Galatian believers saying, well, Paul is not really a messenger of God. He's not really an apostle. They spread lies about him. In fact, he taught this once and this they were spreading lies. The problem was some of the Galatian believers probably believed these lies. They believe in every marites they hear. And they believe that yes, it's not just faith in what he did, but there are other things. And Paul said, if you believe that it is your work that will save you. You have abandoned the grace of God. You have left it. Or others would theologize, in fact, you were never in it, if you think that way. He was correcting that, don't add anything. It is not faith plus anything else. It's faith in Him and no one else. No one else. If you add somebody else, that's a false teaching according to Scripture. If you say you're saved by having faith in Christ plus the saints, Mary, Paul, Peter, blah, 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 blah. 
ah, ah. <laughs> that is now false teaching. Now, what does it say? Faith, we are justified by faith alone. Righteousness is achieved by faith alone. And you know, that's good news because we are saved not by our works, but by the works of Jesus. So if somebody asks me, are we saved by works? Yes, but not ours, His. His works. And having faith in Him, it means I am allowed by Christ to believe in Him, to be covered in Him, to be in Him so that the Father does not see my guilt, but they, He sees the justice that He has done to Christ, and I pass with that. But somebody asked, then what about good works? Didn't the Bible say we should be good? Yes, yes, and yes. If we truly have faith in Him, our good works must follow. Morality must follow. But take note of the clear difference. Your good works and morality does not justify you. We are justified by Him alone. And what we do is because we have true faith in Him. Our morality is the result us learning to be patient like the fruit of the Spirit that He says, walk by the Spirit and do not give an opportunity to the flesh. We are still tempted. There's still a battle within us. We are tempted by sexual immorality. We are tempted by divisions to cause divisions and enemies and arguments. You see, we can, we defend the gospel with all our hearts as Paul did, even rebuking Peter in front of others. Yet he's saying, but some of you are so petty, you create divisions on your own. But what's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience. Praise the Lord. <laughs> By God's grace. Through time, as we grow, by His grace, we learn to be more patient. Is that correct? Yeah, look, look at yourself several years ago, how quickly you become impatient about certain things. That's why you know it's not you, because you are an impatient person. But through walking in the Spirit, through studying God's Word, somehow He allows us to grow that through time, we learn to be more forgiving, and then we forgive. There's now patience, there's goodness, there's faithfulness, there's self-control. And Paul said, let's read, well, we have to remind each other, because if ever we, we fall into these things, let us bear one another's burden. It means these things... Yes, if we walk in the Spirit, we will bear the fruit of the Spirit. But Paul was also saying, but it involves the community of believers because we don't develop these things on our own. That's why we have our church community, and especially in the small groups where we learn to be patient with one another. And not only that, we learn to encourage one another when we are down, but we also learn to 
correct one another. And as we grow learning to receive correction and give encouragement, and also receive encouragement and vice versa, somehow we grow in Him. Now, Paul was about to close his letter. And uh, my first point is this is significant. Paul wrote the Galatians with his own hands. He did not use a scribe, which could be his custom. That's why he said, let's read verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. What does this mean? Now, looking at several references about this, one, some, uh, one hypothesis is uh, because he had a problem with his eye, that's why his letter writing isn't so good. But I'm inclined to the reference that says, when you say, I wrote this with my own hand, meaning... I stand by everything I said. I stand on this. I wrote this myself with full conviction. And with what large letters may mean emphasis. Uh, when some of us do our Word document, we either use bold letters. Select bold emphasis. See with what large letters I write emphasis in text messaging they say if you use all capital letters you are shouting through text okay uh, for those of us who are not that young don't use all caps because it gives the impression you're shouting okay with see with what large letters i am writing with my own hand So the style of writing large letters may reflect the message's significance, emphasis, and importance. And in fact, through the journey we had since chapter 1, going line by line by line by line throughout all the whole letter, it's impossible not to see the depth and the significance of this letter for us today. If it was important for him then to make the gospel pure or to defend the purity of the gospel, it is still important for us today. And 26 of the 27 books of the New Testament spoke about false teaching. False teaching is a distortion, sometimes even a little distortion of the truth. See with what large letters I write to you. Now, it means let us heed the importance of an accurate gospel. Remember what he wrote in chapter 1, those who distort it will suffer the curse. And those who think they can earn, they can earn justification and righteousness have abandoned His grace. Everyone should take heed. The next point, questionable motives. Let's read verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. 
Now, if you have not been following us or you have not studied the Old Testament rituals, circumcision started with Abraham, carried on to Moses, the covenant, the old covenant, which is a sign that you belong to God's people. And many are saying that righteousness is achieved through that and by following the law. Paul's argument was no, Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was not the circumcision that made Abraham righteous. It was his belief in the promises of God. Paul countered that. So now he's saying, now these people actually know that they should be preaching the cross. But why did they become false teachers? By adding a little more. Why? He was saying why? Because they don't want to be persecuted by their fellow countrymen, the Jewish people. So yeah, I believe in Christ, I believe in the cross, but hey, we're not so different. In fact, I also believe you have to be saved. To be saved, you have to be circumcised. Okay, so we're friends. Because they were afraid to be persecuted. And we know that in the New Testament, they preached the truth. Stephen preached the truth, and he was stoned to death. The believers preached the truth. They were scattered all over. That's how the gospel spread initially. In the Roman Empire, when they were persecuted, they kept spreading. Aside from Pentecost, that was the other way that the Lord used, through persecution. Paul was per persecuted again and again and again and again by preaching the accurate gospel. But, but today, or during that time, Sometimes they make little adjustments so that they can belong. Let's make them feel that they belong with us so that we can have them with us. So somehow they can believe in Christ. But let's just say we also believe in what they teach so that we are more welcoming. And then the theories came that says, There are many ways, but we all end up in one God. If you believe that, then you don't believe in Christ. Because Jesus himself said, I am the way. So if you believe in many ways, don't pretend. You're a false teacher. You are a false teacher. And you are the one that says here, you will be accursed. Now, it's up to you. Well, pastor, I think you're not open-minded. I may not have studied deeply every religion, but I have gone through, I've read quite a number since I was in high school. That was one of my interests. And it's only in Christ that it's not my works that save me. His works. Do I have to obey and grow in morality? Of course, but that is not that saves me. And for me, that is good news. He won the victory for me. And he's the only one who claimed to be the Son of God and rose again from the dead. And there were witnesses during that time. Witnesses, even non-biblical writers, have documented of people seeing the one who was crucified on the cross. Around 500 have seen that he was alive. Now, they, they, 
they teach you the wrong things because they don't want to be persecuted. Even evangelicals try to make it easy. Now I'm thinking, that's borderline false teaching. You don't have to repent. I thought Jesus said in the end of Luke, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And Peter himself said, if you read 1 Peter, 2 Peter, he connected salvation and repentance. Why are we ignoring this part and you just choose this part? You just choose Romans 10, 9 and 10 and John 1, 12. And then you neglect the rest of scripture about the gospel. Why? What is your motive? So let's question the motive. What is your motive? And if you ask them why, well, I got used to this from the start. This is what everybody was preaching that I trust. Therefore, I followed it. And I think that's how I got saved, through the sinner's prayer and by accepting him as Lord and Savior. Theologically, there is nothing wrong with saying, I have accepted him as my Lord and Savior. There is nothing wrong with that. But let me just say to you how the gospel was presented and the command of Christ. Christ commanded his disciples and said, Proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So what does that mean? It's an unpopular message that may cause persecution because we're going to say we are sinners and we have to turn away from our sin. That is unpopular. And it can make you enemies. <laughs> What's the motive? Why are we neglecting that? I was discussing to a, somebody who says he's a missionary. I said, why don't we preach repentance when we visit this place? Because I've been hearing you preach and you don't include it. And he gave me several reasons. And I said, why are we afraid to preach what the Lord commanded us to preach? Go and say what you want, but do not neglect the emphasis. This is the emphasis. It's faith. And if you have genuine faith, you will have to repent. Why? To make it easy. What's the motive that this sinner's prayer just started like within a hundred years? Specifically in the 20th century. Before that, you would not see that. I have not seen it. Maybe it's there, but I have not seen it. In the writings of Spurgeon. I've not seen it in the writings of Jonathan Edwards, nor George Whitfield, not even John Wesley. I have not seen that there. I have not seen that in the writings of Luther or Calvin. I have not even seen that in the writings of Augustine. I have not seen that. It became popular when we started having these crusades so that they can count. We have so many decisions for Christ and they can give to their missionary board about their success rate so that they can have more financial support. I'm just questioning that that's a probable motive. Why are you making it easy? It was never easy. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preached a mighty sermon and the people said, what shall we do? He said, repent. A rich young ruler went to Christ. What shall I do to have eternal life? Let go of everything. Sell everything and follow me. And he left very sad because he could not surrender everything. What's the motive of making it easy? What's the motive? And usually 
because this is what, how I learned it. Oh, so that's your motive. I thought the motive, our reason for preaching is because it is revealed in Scripture. Because we were commanded to say these words. That should be our motive. Because we were commanded to say these words. Therefore, we say these words. What's your motive? Why do you adjust it a little bit? Why? Why do we ignore when we, somebody challenges us? Why do we look at it again? Based on context. Based on historical and literary context. Based on what the book is. So we keep sharing to those who like to learn. When you study the epistles, you cannot study it like the law. It's different when you study the law of the Old Testament. If you're studying law today, maybe you can apply that in the study of the Old Testament. But be careful when you try to apply that in terms of the epistles. You don't apply how you study the law when you study the Psalms or the Proverbs. It's a different thing. We have to respect the intent of the writers. If the intent is poetry, which sometimes I do, or every Sunday I do, the intent is to reflect the message and hopefully to be doctrinally correct. But sometimes there are figures of speech written. Poetry has metaphor. It has exaggeration. But those who study poetry know that these are exaggerations. There's beauty, there's danger. My heart was like the roaring of the sea. Oh, that is poetic. What does that mean? I'm at sea? No, it's not literal. My heart is turbulent. It is not steady. It is not peaceful at this time because it is like the roaring of the sea. You could hear the waves crush the rocks. You could see the high waves. That's what it means. Inside me, it is turbulent. I am not at peace at this moment. That's the meaning of the phrase. So when we're discussing poetry in Scripture, when we read poetry, it's poetry. The sun shall be darkened and the moon will be red as blood. Please. Stop believing every thing you see on Facebook. It's the end times. The moon has turned red. That's a poetic phrase meaning the judgment of God has come upon them. You'll see that in the Old Testament. When you see in the book of Acts, in the last days, what does it mean in the last days? It's not what it means to us. What does it mean to them who wrote it? The last days when the New Testament authors write it, what does it mean? It means the days of fulfillment are here as opposed to the days of prophecy, which is in the Old Testament. The days of prophecy of the Christ to come. Now it is the last days. What does it mean? The days of fulfillment. So if somebody asks me, do you know it's the last days? Of course, since, since Christ. The biblical meaning is days of fulfillment. So don't believe everything like end of the world. They've been saying that two centuries ago. All right? Yeah, the world will end. So what?
If we follow scripture, we're not afraid of the end. We question the motives of why adjust? Why add your opinion so much? You see, there's a point where scripture is scripture, and we try to reveal the intent of the author, and there's a point where we give our opinion. And we, speakers and preachers, are accountable to you to say when it is our opinion only. Paul was like that. This is my opinion. Better not get married. That's not a universal thought. It was during a situation in Corinth that it was not good to get married during that time. All right? Now, some have made it universal. Can you imagine if all the men followed that advice? What will happen to the human race? Oh, what's the motive? Sometimes the motive is laziness, because I'm lazy to study. Now, Paul shared the obvious that some teach circumcision to avoid persecution from the Jewish people. What teachers should teach is the cross of Christ without the unnecessary requirements like circumcision. Now, the Galatians should learn to question the motives of teachers who present a distorted gospel. Well, if we were to question the Western prosperity gospel, why are they, why is their theme often about money? I mean, well, I'm not saying go to YouTube and listen to these prosperity preachers, don't believe in them. That's what I want to say to you. If you've seen them, that they keep talking about prosperity, but neglect the part when the scripture says, you will suffer. Expect suffering. Expect hardships. Expect persecution. Where, where is that? How come they never taught when Paul said, I have experienced how to have many, plenty, but I also experienced what it means to be in poverty. How come they're not preaching about what's the motive? The motive is to manipulate the emotion so that we will write our check and give to them. What's the motive? What's the motive why we are selective? Some of us are so selective with Scripture. The dangers of oversimplification. The most important thing is do unto others what others do unto you. And that's the only verse they know. The message of the gospel is not do unto others. That's just one of the things that the Lord taught us how to live. But that is not the gospel. That is not about justification. That is not about righteousness. No, 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 no. But we should apply it. Well, that's a danger of oversimplification. Eh, basta ako, ito lang. You know what the book of Proverbs calls that? The foolish. Because they would not pursue knowledge and wisdom. Now, similar third point. Oh, before that. 
Aside from the motives, of course, before you analyze the motives, you have to analyze, we have to analyze the content of the message. So we encourage everybody in our church community, all of us who teach here, please double check. We try to double check ourselves, triple check even, quadruple check even. To see how accurate we are. Oh no, sometimes you don't have to be a scholar to, to just say if this is close or far. Sometimes we need scholarship, but sometimes it's, it's simply just analyzing it like somebody sent you an email. There's a purpose for the email. And there's a context for the email. You do not separate one sentence from the email and interpret it separately. Is the teacher taking a verse and explaining it separately instead of looking the, about the immediate context? You don't take a sentence from an email and separate. You look at the whole email and see the significance of every letter, every thought, every sentence in the purpose of the email. Sometimes it's as simple as that. Of course, sometimes we need scholarship because there are sayings that are too difficult. That's when we consult the books. But sometimes, or oftentimes, it's not. Sometimes we take the minor. This is the intent of the author, but we focus on the minor things, the minor thought, and develop it. That's how cults operate. They take things out of context. And they cannot be challenged. They cannot be challenged. This is right. The only one who has the right to interpret is a group of us in our community. Only they can interpret. Oh, no, 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 no. And that's the whole significance of the Reformation of Martin Luther. The man who studies the scripture, even just a farmer, can have more knowledge and wisdom than the Pope who does not study the scripture. That was what Martin Luther, and that brought us out of the Dark Ages, when we started questioning things. Until today, please question the motives. Please question the content. The why. Now you might say, well, isn't it? Depends on your interpretation. Try to send me a message. Okay? Try to share to me Communicate something to me. Now, do I have the right to say, I won't ask you about it if it's not clear. What I will do is interpret it based on my interpretation. Or do I, should I show respect to you? What do you mean, bro? You sent me an email. What do you mean by this? That's the right thing to do if you don't understand something. Some people really lack this one. Sorry, forgive me. Or too lazy to analyze. Somebody said, I would love to visit you. Now, that's a good thing to say. Let's not go beyond that. He said he would love to visit us. Now, if I say he's going to visit us, is that the same? Is that the same? It's not the same. Some overextend something. And in leadership, that's what Something that pisses me off. Forgive me for saying that. I write it. I say it. Okay. You write it. You say it. And they try to add a different meaning to it. 
spin. Mm. Well, if the scripture, if we say, Paul, what do you mean by this? But since Paul, who wrote Galatians, is dead in the flesh, I believe he is with the Lord. But I don't have an audience with Paul. I couldn't give him a call or a text message, Paul. What in the world are you saying? So what can I do? I have to research the context, the history during that time. When he says, with large letters, I write with my own hand. Now that's significant because most likely how people wrote letters then is with a scribe. A person dictates, the other one writes. Because it's not simple to write. It's a skill. It's not like our ball pens today. Well, some of you can't even write today, right? Because we're used to smashing those keys. <laughs> so when we write, it's terrible. What's the motive? The third one, hypocrisy. Paul revealed the hypocrisy. Verse 13, For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. They don't even keep the law. It's just so that they can brag to the Jewish nation that, hey, hey these Gentiles, you see, I recruited them to our religion. Okay? They're circumcised. That's why we have to look at the meaning of circumcision in biblical text. Because for us, it's different. Circumcision in the Philippine context, it's more of that's the right thing to do. We believe it's hygienic. I'm not sure if that is true or not. It's just the common belief. And uh, you are teased when you were young if you did not join the, the offer of the barangay. And until today, they tease you. I never saw your name there. But in that context, it was, it was different. The hypocrisy. They're going to tell you to obey the law, but they themselves don't obey the law. Now, that's why the gospel preacher who understands the gospel, it's hard for them to be a hypocrite because this is gospel preaching. We are wretched, depraved sinners. We, including me. We are sinners. You and me are sinners. So that's why in Christian counseling, somebody comes to me, meets me privately. Many times this has happened. I'm a terrible person. Oh, so what do I do? Uh, modern counseling would say, don't say that. You know what I do? I agree with you 100%. You are terrible, wretched sinner you are. And that's me as well. You and I. No, 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 no. I didn't do the same things you did. I did something else, but... You think you're more terrible than me, but that's up to you to think if you want. But we are wretched sinners. All are guilty. So if somebody begins coming to you, if you think I'm going to make you feel better by modern counseling, by talking about your self-esteem, oh no, I'm going to say, I just have to agree with you if you say that. If, but if you come to me and say, there's nothing wrong with me, um, then I said, no, there's a lot of things wrong with you because of the first statement you said. We're wretched sinners. 
that need to be justified. And there is a way. There is a way. If we can trust in who Christ is and what He has done, and not rely on our own strength, and repent from our dead works, not only the sin we've committed, but dead works. The repentance of dead works is thinking that we can earn it. That is offensive to the gospel if you think you can. Because nobody can. That's why those who says, do this, without saying that, yes, we have to grow by the grace of God. We have to repent of our sins, yes. But it begins with, we are wretched sinners who will struggle to keep the law. But only by the Spirit of God, by the grace of God, can we obey Christ Himself. No, that doesn't mean there's no obedience. Some would interpret it, oh, so it's by grace, by faith. Then I can do anything I want. <laughs> you misunderstand again. Because if truly the Spirit of God is with you, if you have genuine faith, the desire to obey Him, He gives you. He puts in your heart the desire to follow Him. He puts in your heart the desire to know Him through the Scriptures. There is a desire He places there. Now these are hypocrites. And the approach is usually, look at me and why are you like that? Look at me, I'm different. Why are you not doing this and doing it? It's more on the do's and don'ts. That's where they dwell. That's their Christianity. And that is their weekly preaching. Do's and don'ts. Now, we're not against do's and don'ts, but we know that that's not the heart of the gospel. We studied Romans before. Before Romans 12, which is more of the what to do, the 1 to 11 was the theological understanding what it all means. Can you imagine 11 chapters? In Galatians, how many practical proverbial things that we have to do? Very few. So people neglect. That's why Paul said to Timothy, watch your life and doctrine. Not just your life. Not just your doctrine. Your life and doctrine. Oh, some people will say to you, it's all about having the right doctrine. Uh, yes, but it's not all about that because the doctrine must breed application. There should not be a disconnection between how you live your life and what you learn from Scripture. Now, there are those who say the important thing is life, as long as you're helping others. No. Watch your life and doctrine. Why would the Lord allow these letters to be in the New Testament? Defending the details of how we should think about the gospel. What we think about the gospel and the way we live are equally important. But nothing is more important than knowing who Christ is and what He has done. I'm always reminded by the thief on the cross. Christ between two thieves. The other one did not believe, but the other one believed and said, Remember me when you enter your kingdom. 
And the Lord said, Today you shall be with me in paradise. His faith brought him the first ever. <laughs> first, I would say. That joined the Lord in paradise. I'm not saying heaven in paradise. He believed. He had no chance to do works. I mean, he can't go down on the cross. I mean, he's about to die. There's no chance for him to do morality. His life was about thievery. That's why no matter how terrible we are, no matter what sin we've committed, if we come humbly before him and say, Lord, forgive me of my sin, I turn away, yet I acknowledge the struggle that I might return to it, but I want to turn away. I want to believe in you. It's the humility in coming to Him, expressing that need of the Savior. What we should avoid is by being like the Pharisees in the, Old, in the New Testament, whom Christ rebuked. Can you imagine those the prostitute, the tax collector, ostracized in society would come to Christ. Christ would welcome them because their hearts were broken because of their sin. But the Pharisees were proud. We are the righteous here. With their long robes. They even proclaim when they are fasting. One of the things that Jesus said to them, you teach the commandments of men but neglect the commandments of God. What does that mean? They were making others carry heavy burdens, new commands, but not necessarily found in the law. They were adding to the Torah. Can you imagine that? The Torah is long enough. And you're even going to add to that? They were adding to it. Much like some Christians today, they like adding to it. Stop adding to it. If you don't see it, question everything you believe is right and wrong and look at Scripture. What is revealed, that is what we receive. Sexual immorality is sin. Sex within marriage is good. It is good and it should be practiced. Sex outside marriage, either before marriage or outside marriage is a sin. That is clear. There's no going around it. That is clear. What is clear is clear. Do not add to the burden. Do you know that I heard somebody said it's a sin to wear makeup? Crazy, right? I think he likes ugly women, maybe. Oh. I mean, well, so, so what happened? How about Esther? It was her beauty that saved a, king, a nation from complete eradication from the face of the earth. It was the Persian Empire. Isn't it clear that God used her? Because sometimes it's not grounded. What we must be careful is, what, ladies? It is not to draw too much attention to yourself. What you want to reveal is Christ in you. 
There's nothing wrong with looking good. Hallelujah. Praise God if you look good every Sunday. And every brother says, Amen. <laughs> Do so. Husband, don't stop her. Let her explore. But let the sisters police themselves if it's too much. Don't add to the burden. It's a sin to get drunk. That is clear. But to drink wine or some alcoholic beverage that does not get you drunk is fine. But if, if you drink one and it becomes ten, you have no self-control, just stop. All right? Unless you can say, I am up to two and two is enough. Or to the level you are. But these are practical things, just examples of do not put burden on somebody when it is not a burden. When it is not the command, do not let your own religious thinking influenced by Christian tradition. Somebody said, if you listen to non-Christian music, you are off the world. I say, it depends on the lyrics. Because I believe all music comes from God. You know, some would even theologize. Oh, Satan has liars in music. Where did that come from? It was a gift from God. I mean, Lucifer. They were talking about Lucifer. The rhythm of the sea comes from God. You hear me? The beauty of the human body comes from God. Do you know how God made us symmetrical? Two eyes, two ears. One nose and mouth, but they're at the center. Huh? You see the beauty of that? It's symmetrical. God made that. That's why we find it weird if there is a deformation. You know, that's why it's so strange if you find the mouth at the back of the head, right? It's just... Wow, that's... And there's a rhythm when we walk. There is, listen. Especially if you wear those things that sound... Tok, 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 tok. No, that's a horse, sorry. Uh... <laughs> Application, let's go back. Number one, respect the message. The message was crystal clear. Righteousness is through faith in the gospel. Justification is through faith alone. Anyone who distorts the gospel is accursed. Thus, we should proclaim an accurate gospel and protect his people from error. Respect the message. Paul wrote with large letters. Do not ignore the message. Question motives. Number two, application. Paul exposed why the false teachers forced the Galatians to become circumcised. So they, the false teachers, can afford, avoid persecution. Now we should test every teaching we hear and read if it is aligned with God's word. And we, we test every content and we test every motive. So we ask the question, why does someone preach an inaccurate gospel? Or between the two things, 
this is more accurate, this is less accurate, but let's not say that it's wrong. It's just less accurate. What will you choose? The more accurate or less accurate? Oh, can't hear you. Of course, you want to be on the safe side, but others will defend the less accurate. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, but it's dangerous because the less accurate can lead you to false teaching. Remember the example I gave you when somebody said to me, I would love to visit you. That doesn't mean he will visit me. His intent may be to visit me. He would perhaps love, enjoy it if he visits me. Maybe I can say as much as that. But I cannot claim that he will visit me. You change it. It's no longer accurate. And that's why some of us study Hebrew and Greek even, and church history, and the ancient history. Why do we study that? To be more accurate. Because if you're more accurate, the application is more accurate. And lastly, watch out for hypocrisy. Paul warned of false teachers and require, who required others to follow the law, yet they did not. Who can follow the law? No one. We should take heed and beware of their hypocritical teachings. Let us remain with the gospel as revealed in the scriptures. What does that mean? We first admit we cannot follow the law. But he followed the law 100%. He did the work for us. We trust him. So let us not be moralistic, but we should grow in morality. There's a difference. A faithful servant of God will teach about our depravity. That there is no hope in our morality and our works. The faithful servant or teacher would teach justification is by faith alone, in him alone. But remember what Luther said, but the faith that saves is never alone. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith is never alone, which means it will result into works. But the result is not the one that saves us. That is not the Geiger meter. That is not the measurement. The measurement is simply to trust in Him. Moreover, we may bear fruit of the Spirit, again, which results from walking by the Spirit through faith. We're about to end Galatians. Paul began his ending with large letters. So I give you this poem called Large Letters. Paul wrote with his own hands to warn. All his words we should think upon. Gospel truth should remain the same. A pure gospel we should proclaim. Dispel us from slight distortions. Avoid all sorts of contortions. If not, then beware of the curse. Perhaps there is nothing much worse. Beware the teachers who distort. Such teachers we will not support. Through scripture we should test their words. We test every teacher who serves. Beware of teachers who require more than what the scriptures inspire. They themselves cannot fulfill it, yet such 
teachers will not admit. We're justified by faith alone. Righteousness too, let it be known. The Spirit then leads to bear fruit in our souls. May this truth take root. Let us all rise. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord. As we near the end of this letter written by your servant, may we take heed of the lessons we've learned. This is Holy Writ. You inspired him to write. It is the inspired word of God. We are lacking in many things. We are depraved sinners. But you are complete. And you saved us by your grace. So we look to you alone for salvation. To remove our guilt, we look to Christ alone who died on the cross because of our sin. He took the punishment meant for us. And we have to believe. He lost his life for a while. Physically, we mean. The third day he rose again. Defeating death. Then he gives us life. Oh, the power of the resurrection is so powerful. Sufficient for all. But we have read the prophecies. That only few can receive it all, what Christ offers. Wide is the road to destruction, but narrow is the way to eternal life. Many will reject this message, it's too good to be true for them because of a lack of understanding. And that is why no matter how simple, many will not believe. But we thank you for allowing us to hear the word today. That we may have a chance to believe. To trust in Jesus as the Savior. To surrender ourselves, to change our perspectives and surrender our sin. That we may begin to follow, not in our own strength because we cannot, but only by the Spirit of God. So Holy Spirit, lead us to take the first step of faith. Lead us to take the first step of repentance. Lead us 
Holy Spirit. To acknowledge what wretched sinners we are, what terrible people we are, yet in Christ, He removes the guilt, renews our lives, our minds, and our hearts by His Spirit. And sometimes, even though as we walk, yet at times we fail, we are reminded by our own frailty. Even the sins we commit keep, keep us humble and broken. Oh, may we pray we will always be broken about it and never be proud of our sin, but always broken. Yet having the confidence to come to you because you made the promise that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all righteousness. So we come to you today unworthy, believing in the good news that there is one who is worthy and we can hide in him. Our confidence is in him alone. For scripture says, there is no other name under heaven that men should be saved except the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we come to him. In our lives be glorified. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of His Spirit be with you all. God's people say, Amen. God bless you. Good morning.